Today's scripture reading will be from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees, deep bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace, and he took him and healed him and let him go, and answered them, saying, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest the more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Amen. Amen. We're continuing our series on the parables of Jesus Christ. And this is, again, one of these little parables kind of nestled in the midst of a miracle in the midst of the teachings of Jesus. So I'm going to preach around the parable as well as hit the parable this morning with this message that I'm entitling Receiving Reward on Resurrection Day. It is a fact that there is going to be a great day of resurrection. Both the saved and the unsaved dead will stand before God. The unsaved dead will stand before God and will be judged according to their works. And sadly, they will face the second death. But those of us who are saved will stand before God and face the Lord face to face. And it will be a judgment not on whether we're saved... We settled that here. It will be a judgment of reward or a lack of reward. Now, my desire for all of us today, my heart is that you get a great reward in heaven. Amen? Don't you want a reward in heaven? Wouldn't you think, Jesus, don't you want some crowns? That you could just say, praise you, Lord. And then cast those crowns back at his feet. But... The message is receiving reward on Resurrection Day. And that's the text as it concludes with this great statement. And nowhere else in the Bible do we find this specific phrase. We find the teaching, but the specific phrase in verse 14. And I would like to just read that as we begin. Luke 14, verse 14. It says, And thou shalt be blessed. That means happy. That's the great beatitude word. Blessed art thou. Blessed is happy. You will be happy. Don't you want to be happy now? Amen. Okay, so Jesus is saying, you do this, what we'll talk about today. You'll be happy now. It says you'll be blessed. And for they cannot recompense thee, that means repay you, 
For you shall be recompensed or repaid or rewarded. That's the idea here. You will be recompensed. You will be rewarded at the resurrection of the just. The resurrection of the just. That's a unique phrase in our Bible, right there. The resurrection of the just. Who are the just? The ones who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, have been forgiven of their sins, and have a righteous standing. The just are the righteous. Are we righteous in ourselves? No. How can we be just before a holy God? Only by faith in Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done for us on the cross and how he died and shed his blood to forgive us. And then he gives us his righteousness so we can have a just standing, a righteous standing before God. So there's going to be a resurrection of the ones who are saved. And Jesus says that you can be recompensed, you can be rewarded on that day. That's what I want for us today. Are you with me? Do you, wouldn't you like to get a reward when you stand before Jesus? Okay, let's pray. So Lord, help us to make this clear. And God, we want, when we're standing before you, we do want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We know you're not hard to please. You're not an unpleasable parent, Lord. You're not sitting in heaven looking to throw thunderbolts of judgment at us as your people. You are a gracious God. You are a loving God. You are a God of all mercy and compassion. And you want to richly reward your people. So help us on that day. God, as we stand before you to receive a ritual reward on Resurrection Day, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 14 has a number of parables in it. Actually, we're going to do three messages in Luke 14. And then Luke 15 has, of course, three parables, the parable of lost things. And Luke 16 has parables. And so we're going to be spending in our series on the parables the next few weeks in Luke 14 and 15 and 16, these great chapters. We'll talk more about that as we go. But Luke chapter 14, the theme of Luke 14 is being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so this first message about receiving a reward on Resurrection Day, in relationship to being a disciple, I want us to kind of just think about this for a moment. So what is a disciple? Focus in on that. A disciple is one who is what? Following Jesus. And has found that following Jesus is the way to find your real life. A disciple is what? Is one who is learning about Jesus. And he finds the more you learn about Jesus, you'll find there's always something greater to learn. A disciple is who? One who is growing in Jesus. And as you grow in Jesus, you'll realize there's always a greater step to take in our spiritual growth. Isn't there? And evangelizing through Jesus, that is... There's souls that we can share the love of Jesus Christ with, and there's always a soul to share Jesus with. And this chapter actually then later on at the end talks about how a disciple, he loves Jesus so much, guess what? It's like he hates his own life. He surrendered his all. He's taking his cross. He's forsaking his all. As we sang earlier about, let this be my life's refrain, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. To take my cross and suffer loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. A true disciple does all this. A true disciple is looking for the resurrection day. Jesus Christ is going to come. So, a disciple. You know what a disciple is? There's another way to look at it. A disciple is one who is bound for where? Heaven. A disciple is a follower, a learner, a grower in Jesus. He's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been saved. And so a disciple is bound for heaven. And he believes the Bible. Don't you believe the Bible? We're living in a world that doesn't believe the Bible. They want to tear the Bible down. They're, they're, they're tearing the Bible up. They're literally t- taking pages out of the Bible and saying, no, God doesn't mean that. Beloved, I believe the Bible. The Bible is our authority. And then we've been bought with the blood of Christ. We're thirsting for God's power of His Spirit. And we're pressing on 
knowing that there's a resurrection day coming. So Luke 14 is about being a disciple. And as disciples, we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And guess what? He's coming again. And that could be at any moment. So in this passage, now let's go into this passage. We're going to look at it. In this passage of scripture, Jesus does such an amazing thing in that he flashes the light of eternity. The, the light of eternity he flashes on a, on a common thing that we do every day and that's sit down and have a meal. That even when you sit down and do something so common, have a meal with other people, it could have results of reward on the day of the resurrection. So you don't have to preach a great sermon to get a reward on resurrection day. You don't have to sing a beautiful song to, to get a reward on resurrection day. You don't have to do some adventurous missionary journey to get reward on resurrection day. We're going to see three simple ways how we can be rewarded on this resurrection day. Now, the resurrection day for the saved, because this, again, this phrase says the resurrection of the just. It's a very interesting phrase. I believe he's talking here, at least for our standpoint right now, for the church right now, we could see this as what we would call the judgment seat of Christ. How many of you have heard that expression? The judgment seat of Christ. The when I use that expression, I'm talking about the judgment of the believers and how our works are going to pass through the fire and the Lord is going to determine the motive of them and the, the, the reason why they, we did these works. Were they for the glory of God or were they for our own selfish benefit? And... Our works are going to pass through the fire, and what passes through the fire, what's not wood, hay, and stubble, but what's gold, silver, and precious stones, we will be rewarded. This can happen. I believe this resurrection of the just, for our standpoint, is would happen at the rapture of the church. Not when we die. We're not going to have this judgment. You will not be judged at the moment of your death. You will be judged... When Jesus Christ comes back, raptures the church, and we'll be all judged together. What an incredible thing that's going to be when the Lord Jesus Christ passes out his rewards to the church. Be an amazing thing. It's going to take a little while, don't you think? we got a lot of time then. We'll have a lot of time. So... The resurrection of the just. Now, I have a couple verses here. Just read this verse. This is, this is a classic verse on the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Can you read it with me? It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, you know, and he's writing this to Corinth. When I went to Corinth, I saw a judgment seat. There was actually a judgment seat where they, it was an earthly judgment seat. And Paul's taking that earthly judgment seat and saying, there's going to be a spiritual judgment seat. And we're going to stand before the Lord. Now, again, this is not a judgment of unsaved people. It's a judgment of the saved. And it's not a judgment of whether we're saved or lost, because that judgment has already happened. Our sins were judged by Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and so we're not going to be judged for our sins because Jesus was judged for them. We're going to be judged for our works according to what we've done, good or bad. Now, there's other verses. We won't look up these verses. Actually, I want to go to John 5. I'm going to look up just one of these passages. Go to John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29. And here, the resurrection of the just... In this passage, it's called the resurrection of life. And in, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, it's called the first resurrection. And also in the Acts passage, I believe it's, it's also called there the resurrection of the just. So there's three different terms. It's called the resurrection of the just, the resurrection to life. Why to life? Because the ones who are at this resurrection are what? They're saved and they'll have 
eternal life. It's called the resurrection of the just. Why? Because the ones before God at this resurrect, at this resurrection, when we're resurrected, we're, we're already just. We're righteous in God's sight. It's called the resurrection of life. It's called the first resurrection because the Lord is going to, and there will be in stages, I believe, but the, the first resurrection is the, the resurrection to life. That's in Revelation chapter 20. But look what Jesus said here in John chapter 5. Verse 28 and 29, just two verses. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 says, Marvel not at this. I mean, don't let this boggle your brain here, Jesus is saying. For the hour is coming into which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Okay, so who's going to hear the voice of God, the voice of Jesus Christ and say, Come up and stand before God. Both the saved and the unsaved. Every person is going to stand before God one way or the other. All of us will. This is testing ground. Now then watch what Jesus said. And shall come forth. They're going to hear his voice. And it says, shall come forth. They which that have done good unto the resurrection of life. So that's the resurrection of the saved. Those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. That's the resurrection to the, to the lake of fire. That's the second death. So, let's talk about how to get reward on this resurrection day. And there's three things I want to give you this morning. The first is, we need to love mercy. We need to love mercy. And it's the story of this man with this illness, and it's described in our King James Bible as dropsy. A medical term for it today would be edema. And it's in verses 1 through 6. So here's Jesus at a dinner party with the religious rulers of his day. And what day of the week is it? What day of the week is it? As it says in Luke chapter, I'm in Luke chapter 14 and verse number 1. It's what day? It's the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus has already healed a, a number of people on the Sabbath day. Remember the man with the withered hand? Remember the woman who was bowed over? She couldn't stand up. And so he kept healing people on the Sabbath day, and the Jewish people just get, kept getting more and more angry. So now it's the Sabbath. There's a dinner party, and Jesus is there. And people, the Pharisees, were with Jesus. And what were they doing to Jesus? What did they say right at the end of verse 1? What were they doing? Were they saying, oh, Jesus, we are so glad you're here. We love you. We're, we so, so appreciate for all the work you're doing. Is that what they said? What, what are they doing? They're watching. Do you think good or bad? They're spying them out. There's a malicious intent. There's a desire to find fault. They're fault-finding Pharisees. Here, they're watching Jesus. And now whether this man with the dropsy or the edema was brought as a, as, a, as a planned pawn by the religious group to see whether Jesus would heal him or not, or whether he just showed up, we really don't know. But I believe the Pharisees were like, oh, good. Here's this man with this horrible illness. They didn't care about the man. Oh, good. Here's this man with, with dropsy, and he has this accumulation of fluid, and maybe his face is all puffy and swollen, or maybe his, his hands and his arms are all swollen, or his leg was, was three times its size. Oh, good. This man is in our midst. They didn't care about the man. They cared about what? Making Jesus look bad. So, there's the man with dropsy. And I want you to notice what it says in verse number 3. What does it say? What did Jesus do to them? And exactly as it says it, this isn't a trick question. What does it say in verse 3? Jesus what? He answered them. Is that what it, did your, your Bible say that? Yeah. He answered them. My question to you is, what did they say to him that he was answering? What question did they ask Jesus? Was there any conversation between them and Jesus? No. Jesus, it's so, so this is quite amazing. And the wisdom of Jesus. It says Jesus answering spake. Even though they never asked him anything, they never said anything. But guess what? Jesus knew exactly what was what. What they were thinking, what was on their mind. 
He knew it. And so he answered the question that they were actually wondering in themselves. Jesus knows what's on your mind. So he answered them. This poor man, by the way, with dropsy, he could have been very repulsive to look upon. They say it's an accumulation of watery fluid in the body, but that's just a symptom. The reason for this accumulation of fluid in the body is because there's some very serious problems in some of your most important organs of your body, such as your liver, your kidney, or your heart, that it's not able to get those fluids out of the body. So this man's life was literally in the balance. And so there he was standing before Jesus, and Jesus answered them by, not by answering their question, but by asking a question, because this was the question on their mind. What's the question on their mind? Verse number three. Is it lawful? Can you actually heal someone on the Sabbath day? Now, according to the Jewish people, could you heal on the Sabbath day? Definitely not. That's work. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath day. Now, you could have a bunch of people over to your house and do all kinds of work preparing the food. <laughs> That's a lot of work. But you can't heal anybody. Now, Jesus says, well, what do you think? He asked him again. This is not the first time he's asking the question. When there was the man with the withered hand, when there was the lady bowed over, he asked similar questions. And how does Jesus answer that question? What does he say? How does he answer that question? You know what he does? He doesn't say anything. He just takes the man with the, with the edema, with this grotesque accumulation of fluids that had brought great uh, puffiness and swelling to his body. He just took him and without a word... He answered the question by his actions. Because then he healed this man just like that. Boom! Now wait a minute. If he could heal the deep internal organs of this man, don't you think everybody there should say, Praise God that Jesus could do that! Don't you think they should be happy? Yeah, they should be. But he did this on the Sabbath day. They weren't happy at all. But Jesus shows how consistent he is and how he would not back down from their intimidating tactics. Remember when he healed, it, just in the previous chapter, the previous chapter, this woman had been, it says, bound by Satan. And she was bowed over. She couldn't straighten up herself. And Jesus asked them then, he says, if, if your if your ox gets loose on the Sabbath day, won't you bring him back and lead him to, won't you, you know, get him under control and bring him to some water where he can get the, the proper water? Yeah, they would do that on the Sabbath day. They would do that job. They would take care of their ox on the Sabbath day. And even now, he asks them another question Then, as he goes through this, and he asks them another question that exposes their hypocrisy and he says, which of you will have an ass or an ox and fall into a pit and will not straightway pull him out of that pit? Now, if your if you're donkey that, is, that you use for work or your ox that you use to, to you know, work the fields and do the different work of bre breaking up the ground so you can plant seeds in the, in, in the ground, and, and if your ox falls into a pit, aren't you going to get him out on the Sabbath day? Are you going to be so heartless to leave your ox in the pit? What's the answer? Oh, they're going to get their ox out of the pit. Well, is the ox more important than this man? For the Pharisees, it was. Jesus is exposing their, their inconsistency, their hypocrisy, their lack of mercy. Because if you want reward on the resurrection day, here's the first thing. You've got to be a person who loves mercy, who shows mercy to others. Do you love mercy? And I use that expression, 
Love mercy because of Micah 6 8. What does the Lord that God require of me but to do justly and to love mercy? Those who are just should love what? Mercy. We should love mercy. And we should be tied to mercy, not just to tradition, not just to rule keeping. As the Pharisees had elevated their legalistic rules way above the Word of God. And they were more beholden, they were more attached to their rules than to mercy. Jesus is exposing that. And you know what? People who want to find fault with Jesus don't show mercy. Jesus is pure, holy, the Son of God. In Him, there is no sin. Love Jesus. And I'll tell you what, He's merciful, isn't He? Hasn't He shown mercy to us to save us? Oh, how He shows so much mercy to save us. Without Jesus, where would we be? Lost and undone. Separated from Him. I'm so glad that Jesus had mercy upon me to save me. And I know you're glad that He's shown mercy to you. And now we need to show mercy to others. Show mercy to someone. Do you know why I love to come to church? Because somebody here today needs mercy. Somebody here today you could show mercy to. You could speak a good word. You could pray with somebody before you go. You could encourage somebody. Maybe somebody needs a few dollars to put in their pocket. Maybe somebody needs a meal. Maybe somebody just needs a word of encouragement. Maybe somebody's having problems in their marriage. Maybe somebody's just discouraged and defeated today. And they need, they need mercy. You know why one reason people don't want to come to church? Because they're, they're oh, those Christians are just going to judge me. They're just going to judge me. We're not here to judge people. We're here to show mercy. We're here to show mercy. Dear friend, God is the judge. He'll judge you. We do judge righteous judgment. But we're here to show mercy. And coming to church, coming to the house of God where there's other image bearers of God, is an opportunity to show mercy. So let's not be fault finders. Let's show mercy. You know, when I think of mercy, and I don't have... I don't have many stories to tell you today. It's really a serious message, but I was thinking about our homeless ministry. And we we could do a whole lot more as a church in showing mercy. So I'm not saying we're this great church that shows mercy to everyone. We're a simple church that that does the best we can, which often isn't very much, okay? You know, but we're we're here and we're seeking to be used of the Lord. We want to be the body of Christ in our city. And one of the things we've done for many years is have our homeless outreach. And you know who started our homeless ministry that we still do? This sister right here. Her name is Karen Dykers. She was a prostitute. She was a drug addict. She was out on the street. And somebody, not in our church, she was not saved through the ministry of our church. It was another church. Somebody reached out to Karen and lifted her up out of her situation. And Karen came to know the Lord and started coming to our church afterwards. And she said, we ought to have a homeless ministry. Praise the Lord. She wanted, she had received mercy and wanted to show mercy. And that's what we've tried to do through these years. And, and one of my favorite pictures of the homeless ministry, in fact, one of my favorite pictures of Heritage Baptist Church through 27 years of history is this picture of our dear brother Bill Bender while putting his hand on the homeless man over there by Penn Station and just praying over him, showing him mercy. It doesn't take a lot to show mercy. It just takes a little time and a little heart. And I just beg of, of all of us that we would be people who would show mercy to others. Because our city is full of people who are really broken and beaten down. And they're lost and they're undone. And they have very negative attitudes to the Bible and to the church and to Jesus himself. They need mercy. Amen. You know, when Karen died, she had no family. And you, you were there. How many were at Karen Diaper's funeral? Some of us were here. Hattie, Coretta, Vinny, Ellie, thank you. A few of us were there. The only people who were there were her church family. Sometimes, you know, that's why people need mercy when they come here. Because we might be the only family they'll have. Think of that. We have a great opportunity. People say, oh, I don't love it. I, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. That makes no sense at all. Because if you don't go to church, you don't meet people like Karen Dykers. 
and a whole bunch of, and you don't meet people who need mercy like me and you. So the second thing is this. That's the first way. I believe we can gain reward on resurrection day is refuse fault finding, but love mercy. The second thing is learn humility. And I use that word learn because Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Learn of me. Jesus said, learn of me because I am meek and lowly of heart. When it comes to humility, we, we don't naturally have it. <laughs> we, we naturally are proud. We need to learn humility. And it's a lifelong process to learn it. So in these verses, Jesus is focusing in verses, now I'm in verses, Luke chapter 14, verses 7, and we'll go down to verse number 11 here. But Jesus is focusing on the people who are invited to this dinner party. And he's, now they were watching Jesus, guess what? Jesus is watching them. Because it says in verse number 7, he put forth a parable, and here's a parable, to those which were bidden, when he marked, that is, Jesus was checking out, he was checking them out, he was marking, he's like watching them, how they chose out the chief seats or the rooms, and he said, when you're, when you're invited, or the word is bidden, but when you're invited to somebody's house, whether a, a wedding or a feast of some kind, and you just go in and take the, the highest seat. How many of you have ever been to a wedding? You've been to weddings, right? Been to weddings. We've all been to weddings. Okay, when you go in to the reception of a wedding, there's usually a table with little cards on it. What are those cards? What's on those cards? Names. People's names. And what do those names tell you? What is that? What do you do when you look at all those names? You look for your name. Okay? So you're like, where's my name? Because... You want to know where to sit. It was already figured out where you were going to sit. You don't just walk into a wedding and say, where's the bride and groom going to sit today? I'm going to sit next to them. Because I'm really important. Okay? You don't, nobody, you wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. But that's what they were doing. Okay, to put it in perspective. They were invited to this house party and they just assumed that they were the big cheese and they were going to sit in the best seat. So now, I don't know if I have this exactly figured out, but what I do know is this, that the, the one who has invited the guest has figured out the seating, just like they would at a wedding. They figured it out. And as I, I did a little study, and this made sense to me, so basically the tables, there would be three seats to each couch. And when they sat at a table, they would literally recline. They wouldn't sit on a chair the way we would sit. And it would be something like this. And, and literally, if there were nine people invited to the feast, to this dinner party, there would be the most important number one guy down to number nine. And you would know your status in that group. So the one in the, 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 the middle of the, the top one, he's number one, the chief seat. And then to his right is number two, and to his left is number three. And then the table over here, no, I'm sorry, the table over here to his right would be the next, and the one in the middle would be number four, and the one to his right, five and six. And then the third table, the one in the middle, always was the most prominent of the three. It would be seven, eight, and nine. Now, at least something like that. I'm, I'm not exactly a thousand percent sure that that's how they did it, but something like that anyway. So Jesus' counsel to them, based on the fact that the, the, the one who was hosting the dinner already had the seating figured out, if you didn't know where to sit and you were to walk into that setting, what seat did, would you, what seat is Jesus saying you should sit in? If you just walked in, you weren't sure where you would sit, what seat should you sit in? Number nine, I'm going to sit over here. <laughs> And so they said, oh no, you're not number nine. You're number eight. Okay, I'll move over to the other side. Okay. At least I'm one of the nine, you know? Okay, so that's Jesus' counsel. Jesus' counsel is, don't look for the best seat in the house. But look for opportunities of humble service. Humble service. Robert Morrison, missionary to China, said, 
The world has yet to see what could happen if everyone lost the desire to get more. If everyone lost the desire to get glory. But in this situation, the men were going in, they were sitting down, and they were saying, look who's sitting in seat number one, or seat number two. And they were just so full of themselves, they were focused on their own status. These were status seekers. So not, we looked at the fault finders, fault finders do not love mercy. Status seekers do not learn humility. If all we're doing is seeking self-promotion, celebrity, fame, reputation, status, we'll never learn to be humble. If what we are looking for in life is honor from men, we'll never get honor from God. If we're proud and not humble, we'll not get a reward on the resurrection day. We've got to be people of humility. Pray for each other. None of us have arrived at this. Look what Jesus said. How can you believe which receive honor of one another and seek not the honor that comes only from God? In other words, what, what keeps a person from faith in Jesus? What will keep them from believing in Christ? This pride of just looking for honor in this world system. That will keep somebody from truly believing in the Lord. Because what's our desire? It's not to get honor for ourselves. It's to bring honor to whom? What's the chief desire of a Christian? It's to give glory and honor to God. Not ourselves. We want Jesus Christ. You know, honestly, my motive. Say, why do you do this record? Why do you have this church here in the middle of Grand Village? It's like what somebody said to me when I had a church in the middle of a of an African-American community. We started at Parkwood Baptist Church, and it was a sweet African-American lady, and she stood up when we were visiting, uh, uh, welcoming our visitors one day, she stood up, and she said, I want to know why you're here. She said to me, it's a good question. I said, thank you for that question. And I told her then, and I'll say it again today, I said, I was, I'm here so that people can know what the, who Jesus Christ is. And have the gift of God, which is eternal life. That's my motive. That's it. And I'm, I'm not here for for reputation, for status, for money. I, I'm not. I'm really, really not. I'm here in the city, and we're here in this church because we want people to know Jesus Christ and have eternal life. Amen. Amen. That's our goal. That's our desire. And by the way, that sweet lady, she became like a mother to me. And I preached both her husband's funeral and her funeral when they went to be with the Lord and became very, very close to Debbie and myself. So be careful, because we're in a city where everybody's doing what? <laughs> They're just climbing the ladder for who? Themselves. They want to be successful. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't want to have a desire to be successful. I'm not saying if you have a job, you shouldn't have a desire to, to you know, get promoted on that job. That's not at all. What, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, as a goal, my goal is not to be a self-promoter. My goal as a Christian is to exalt Jesus Christ. And we're in a world of self-promoters. So look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 as we go down in this text. And look what it says in verse number 11. Jesus said this, For whosoever exalts himself, shall be abased. That means put down. You will be humbled. If you exalt yourself, you will be put down. But it says, he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So that's, that's the teaching of Jesus here. That's why I'm saying we must be people who learn humility. Because Jesus is saying that these people going into this feast, they were not humble. They were seeking to lift up themselves. And Jesus said, whoever exalts himself shall be abased, will be put down. But whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And this is a common refrain of Jesus to these Pharisees, by the way. And I found this kind of expression. Go to Matthew 23. Just go to Matthew 23. 
And we'll just look up this passage. This is when Jesus, toward the end of his ministry, was preaching to the scribes and Pharisees and their hypocrisies. And everything they did was to be seen of men. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 5. And they loved the greetings in the marketplace. They loved to be called rabbi. They loved to be called father. And that's where Jesus says, don't call any man your father. There's, you have one father who is in heaven. Call God your father and not any man. But look what he says in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number uh, 6 here. It says that they love the uppermost rooms in the feast and the chief seats in the synagogue. So whether they were in the synagogue or whether they were in the home, guess what they were always looking for? <laughs> the number one place. And they, they, saw, they saw themselves as number one. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? As better than others? Who are you better than? Who am I better than? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're, we're level. We're, we're simply image bearers of God. And we're saved. If we're saved, we're saved by His grace. When we think about humility, how important, how would you, let me, let me ask you this. How important is humility in the Christian life? It's pretty important. Why? Why do you think it's important? Because what did Jesus do? He humbled himself in such an infinite way we cannot grasp. He's the creator of the whole heavens and the earth. He is in heaven and he is shining the glory of God. He is God in the heavens from eternity past. And he's in the presence of the fathers and the angels that are singing and crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, to the, to the thrice holy God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is in heaven without any sin, where he is only given all the glory which he deserves. And then, and then, and then, he humbled himself and took on flesh. And he emptied himself of that outward manifestation of glory. And he became a man. And he became an infant. And you know we're celebrating, we're going into the Christmas season. And that's why we celebrate the incarnation. Because of the infinite, the magnitude of his humiliation. And then he came to earth. And he wasn't born in a castle. He was born in a manger. And then he wasn't treated nice. You know how they treated Jesus? They spat in his face. How do you feel if somebody spit in your face? Oh, they spat in his face. They blindfolded him. And they punched him in the face. And they said, you're the Messiah. Who is it that just punched you? How would you like that? Oh, man. None of us. He didn't like it either. He, he despised the shame. He was, being, he, was, he was put to total shame. And you know all the different sufferings that, that he went through. And the scourging on the back. And the, cat of, and the, and the crown of thorns. And all that he endured. And then he went to the cross. And that's what Philippians 2 eight says. And being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. He humbled himself in all of these things. And became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. But you know what the next verse says? But God also hath highly exalted him. Because he humbled himself. In an infinite way from leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth and, and then going to the very lowest of low places. How, how, what kind of cheap seat did Jesus sit on when he was on the cross? Oh, that was no cheap seat. That was the lowest of the low. The most heinous form of, of, of death that man has ever even imagined is crucifixion on a cross. And Jesus died on that cross for us. And that's what we deserve. But he's been exalted higher than any man because his humiliation is greater than any man. And that's why the prophets tell us that the New Testament writers say, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. And Peter says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, and he will what? Exalt you. If you humility, humility leads to reward. He will exalt you. That's what I'm saying. You want a reward on Resurrection Day? Love mercy. And don't be a fault finder. And then learn humility. And 
Don't be a status seeker. And the third thing is this. Is we need to live for eternity. And we've been talking about this. So this would be just pretty quick as we wrap this message up. Jesus here focuses not on the guests of the dinner table. But he focuses now upon directly the host. The one who invites the guests. In verse number, going back to uh, Luke, if you go back to Luke chapter 14, look what he says in Luke chapter 14. Are you with me? Yes. He said to him that bade him, that invited, bade means to invite. He said now to the one who extended the invitation. He said, when you make a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor your brethren, nor your kinsmen, that is your relative, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and a recompense or a repayment be made thee. So what did he say? He said, okay, here's how, here's how they would roll. I'm going to have a dinner feast. And I'm going to invite big cheese down there. The guy with a lot of money. And I'm going to give him seat number, let's see, what seat should I give him? Hmm. The one with the most money, the one that everybody thinks is the, the guy to be around. He's the rich and the famous one. I'm going to give him seat number one. Okay, so we're going to put him in seat number one. And he's going to, oh, and he's going to schmooze with him. And he's going to, like, buddy up to him. And he's going to, like, you, you know, flatter him. And, and, say, oh, and what's his goal? What does he want, number one, to do? To have a dinner party and invite him. Invite him and have him sit where? I want to be in that seat number one when I'm invited to your house because I invited you and you were in seat number one of my house. <laughs> so that's how they work. That's how they got reputation in their society. And Jesus is saying, when you have a dinner feast, you want a reward? You want a reward on the resurrection of the just? Don't invite the rich man to your house. Invite the poor. And give him seat number, let's see, not nine, not eight, not seven, seat number one. And put the blind man right next to him in seat two, and the maid in seat three, and put the ones who have never been invited to such a situation. You treat them like royalty. That's what Jesus is saying here. He said, when you have such a feast. Don't invite the rich people. But he says, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, verse 13. And if you do this, guess what? You do something like this, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be happy. Because you're living not for self, not for time. You're living for eternity. And you're going to get a reward. You're going to be happy. You know why? Because you just did something for somebody that he could never do for you. Amen. And that's the whole point. Jesus says, don't just give gifts to someone, like Christmas time. Sometimes it's hard for Christmas, you know. Why do some people give somebody a gift? Because they want them to give them a gift. Oh, I'm going to guilt them. I want to give them that person. Hmm, how can they get a gift from them? Oh, I'll give them a gift. I'll give them such a nice gift that will make them feel guilty if they don't give me one. <laughs> Isn't that the way some people can roll? With, they can work that way? No. When you give somebody a gift, give somebody a gift who can't give you a gift, who can't repay you. Give somebody a gift because not anyone else is going to give. Give that person a gift. And you'll be happy. You'll be blessed, and then you will be rewarded. So that's Jesus' counsel. Invite the poor, give them the chief seats. And then he says, you'll be happy in verse 14, because they won't be able to repay you for what you've done for them. And then he says, but you will be repaid when? You'll be repaid when? On resurrection day. And I have good news for you. How many of you like payday? How many of you look forward? Come on, don't be, you don't have to. How many of you look forward to getting paid? I look forward to getting paid. You know what? Because I got bills. And if I don't if I don't get paid, then, you know, I got to start taking money out of my, whatever. I don't want to do that. We look forward to getting paid. Let's face it. Can I say that? That's not true. Okay, thank you, brother. 
But the greatest payday hasn't come yet. When we stand before Jesus Christ and He gives us reward. So, the two questions I'll ask is, who do you want to pay? Don't you want the Lord Jesus to pay you on Resurrection Day? A gift. Because you have love mercy. You have learn humility. You have lived for eternity. That's the three things. Say it with me. Love mercy. Learn humility. And live for eternity. Love mercy. Micah 6 eight. Learn humility. Because Jesus is humble. Live for eternity. Because it's sure we're going to stand before the Lord one day. So to receive reward on resurrection day. Love mercy. And refuse what? Fault finding. Learn humility and refuse what? Status climbing. Live for eternity and refuse what? Favor seeking. May God bless you as you live this life. And truly my heart is that when you stand before the Lord, He will shower you with crowns and reward because you have lived this way. Let's stand together as we pray. And if God has spoken to your heart and said, I need to make things right in my life, then do so today. Because God is a God of judgment. His judgment is just. His judgment is merciful. But he does say, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense. There's that word. God says, I will recompense. We will be recompensed exactly what we deserve at the resurrection of the just. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not even sure I'm saved today, but I need Jesus Christ to take my sins away because I don't want to be judged for my own sins and be separated from God in hell. Pray for me, Pastor. I need salvation today. Is, Is there anyone like that? Can I pray for you? Can I see your hand? Just slip it up that I can pray for you. And how many would say, Pastor Matt, by the grace of God, I want to live this way. I want to love mercy and live out and learn humility and live for eternity for the glory of Jesus Christ. I do desire in my heart to live in such a way that he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And please him, and I want to glorify him on this, in this journey of life. And be recompensed by his grace at the resurrection of the just. Can I see your hand? Just put your hand up to the Lord and say, yes, Lord. Give me grace. Fill me with your spirit to love mercy, to learn humility, and to live with eternity in mind. Help me to be a true disciple. And help help me to make every moment to count for eternity. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.